and welcome back to another exciting episode of Breaking the Ceiling. This is where we go behind the brands and see the people who've made them into the successes they are. Today, we have a very unique brand and a very unique person uh, that I want to talk to you about. This drink has never been you know, made uh, in, on a large scale in India before, even though it's a uh, you know, drink of the royals. Uh, the drink is called Mead and it's made by fermenting honey, spices and fruits. And uh, today I'm going to be interviewing Rohan Rihani, who is the co-founder of Moonshine Midri. And he's become very popular uh, over the last few days and you all know why. So, hey, Rohan, welcome to Breaking the Ceiling. Thanks for having me on the show, Ashwin. Really do appreciate it. So, uh, tell me a little bit about Mead, right? So, it's not a mainstream drink. So, where did this start? What What was the inspiration behind so the yeah firstly let me talk about the beverage itself right mead okay. is the oldest alcoholic beverage known to mankind it predates beer it predates wine by we don't know how many thousand millennia because uh, both beer and wine require systemic agriculture to make at scale okay whereas mead uh, can actually occur in nature by mistake by accident as well like imagine ancient hunter gatherer man wandering the plains of the African savanna, right after a thunderstorm, there's a tree trunk which has fallen, uh, which had like a beehive inside it. It's filled with water. Uh, the falling rain mixed the honey with the water. While these fermentation starts, ancient hunter-gatherer stops, drinks from it, and he's like, whoa, this is sweet, and it gives me a kick. So the first meat, you didn't need any human intervention for the first meat to come about. And um, how we came about it, uh, a lot of human intervention here, is uh, Nitin, my co-founder, he was working with McKinsey at that point of time and he was flying from one European city to another. And in the Lufthansa in-flight mag magazine, he read about uh, London's first midri in the last 500 years. And uh, he's like, this is damn cool. He just sent me a couple of pictures. And uh, when I saw it, I was like, this is super fantastic because both Nitin and I are history buffs. So we're fascinated by anything which is historical. And of course, we're fascinated by anything which is alcoholic. So then uh, those two passions combined, you get moonshine. And uh, huh, that actually, I'm going to use that in the future. <laughs> and uh, so we just looked at this and we were like, this is interesting. Why not? Let's just try getting some and trying it in India. And so we went to all the wine shops here. Apparently, no one knows what a mead is. I mean, still now, it's a rare thing. But we were quite like, what is this? Like, how is it that no one knows about it? read more, found out that it's still made in Europe. It's still made in uh, Eastern Europe, especially. Uh, but overall, across the world, meads had kind of died out. But there was a resurgence happening, especially with craft mead in America. But of course, we didn't have access to any of it. And we like, the only option might be to actually make it ourselves. Then uh, queued the whole uh, making it at home part of our journey. Again, no intention to start a business around this, but just wanted to make a product and try something for the first time. It's like you read about a nice recipe and you're like, huh, I can, you know, let me try making this at home. Uh, it was pretty much that mentality. But it got to a level where our friends were like, can we buy a few bottles? And that's when the light bulb went off in our head, more like the cash register, right? Uh, and we're like, there's potentially a business around this product. And uh, after a lot more testing, a lot more trial and error, uh, we realized, and of course, a lot of Excel sheets, uh, which now are meaningless because, you know, how no plan survives first contact can be, right? Same thing, no business plan survives first contact with the market. And uh, we finally realized that we want to start this. Uh, we went to the excise department, uh, 
got permissions changed, got laws changed to allow us to exist because at that point of time, Maharashtra excise did not allow for fermentation of honey. And so at the time, the excise department, super progressive department, uh, they're like, oh, this is what you want to do. So the law doesn't necessarily allow this, but sure, it makes sense. It will stimulate beekeeping, beekeeping will stimulate agriculture. Uh, you know, there's a very clear correlation between what you guys want to do and agriculture. So yeah, makes sense. Let's do it. And uh, of course, it takes time as with everything else. Uh, so we incorporated the company in Jan 2016 and launched the product in the market in Feb 2018. Yeah, in the duration of this, I did a course in beekeeping. I went abroad and interned with some meadries, uh, took our product from here to, like, I can't wait. You can't see it in the camera. And uh, did all of that. And we are where we are because of a lot of those learnings. Uh, and yeah, Feb 2018, we launched in Bombay. Uh, a few months later, we launched in Pune. A few months after that, in Goa. And for the longest time, we for about nearly two years, we remained a Maharashtra and Goa-only brand. We didn't want to expand out. And we did in 2020, that was the plan. And then we all know what happened. And so now we finally expanded in 2021. End is when we've expanded to Karnataka, to Assam, to Rajasthan. Uh, launching in Himachal Pradesh in another week. And maybe another state as well after that. Yeah. So that's a, it's so interesting to see that how a quick read on a aircraft triggered out a you know something this way, right? Yeah. And so, how do how do you and your co-founder know each other? How tell me about that? So, how did yeah. you guys find each other? So the actually, I, I normally like to start the story this way. The story of Moonshine starts in 2014 when Nitin first read about it. But the reality is the story actually started in 1987 when Nitin and I first became friends. So our fathers used to work in the same factory together, and uh, we were living in a town called Haldia near Calcutta. And that's oh. when Nitin and I first met. We were probably three years old. And we've just been together since then. Both our fathers got transferred at the same time to Bombay. So we both moved to Bombay at the same time. They both got transferred to Pune at the same time. So we both moved to Pune at the same time. So uh, Nitin's first job after engineering was back in uh, Bombay. My second job was in Bombay. And so we both ended up living together in Bombay again. So our paths have always kind of like, our lives have kind of slammed us together many, many times. And so the friendship has uh, sustained. So it's been super awesome to work with your like oldest friend because uh, trust levels are insanely high communication is so simple uh, don't have to worry about hmm, what will he think if i say this i mean i don't care what he thinks like i will say whatever i have to <laughs> and vice versa so oh that's awesome so this is the actual chatty buddy oh yeah in the in the truest sense of the word yeah in the truest sense chatty buddy yeah right? so that is that's phenomenal and it's so um, you know, refreshing to see a friendship that turns into, you know, a business relationship. And I think that those kind of relationships and those businesses will thrive because of, as you correctly said, open communication, you know, just trust that you don't have to worry about what somebody doing behind my back. Yeah. Because you know, I think your friendship will outlast the company and will outlast everything else you'll do together. Right. So yeah, yeah. I think that is just a very, very solid story and a solid team. Yeah. Right? So when you started this process, were you guys like, did you guys figure it out? Do you hire somebody who knows bead making? How does that, how did that play out? So all by ourselves. I'm kind of uh, quite proud about this. Uh, we have done everything by ourselves. We figured out how to make it, how to filter it, how to, I mean, ferment it first, how to filter it, how to package it, how to hold carbonation. 
uh, how to pasteurize. Uh, all of these things are things we've learned on our own. We've had a bunch of uh, misses along the way, a bunch of failures along the way. But uh, for example, bottles kind of you know didn't didn't have any idea of product stabilization in the early days. So yeah, uh, while I'm talking to you, I'm getting like PTSD flashbacks. But <laughs> yeah. But a uh, lot of fun to do nonetheless. I mean, the journey has been incredible. And we've, we had consultants along the way to try and help us make stuff. But we, what we also realized is that because no one has made meads before in the country on a commercial level, uh, a lot of these learnings, a lot of consultants who came in from beer or wine, they didn't necessarily know what to do either. Like, so we finally took a call that, you know, we might as well develop this knowledge base in-house and of course, I've stayed in touch with the people in the US where I interned and uh, early days, of course, there was a lot of back and forth, a lot of knowledge sharing. And that's one thing I really enjoy about the craft industry where no one's hesitant to share knowledge. No one hesitant to share best practices. And uh, so, yeah, it's been great uh, learning from you. That is awesome that places where you interned are still in touch with you. You're still in touch with them. You guys are sharing notes. I think that's just fantastic. So. Uh, before Moonshine Midri, both of you hadn't started a business and you all yeah. were working somewhere. Corporate, so corporate how was the experience of business in the food and beverage space in India? What was that like? So uh, I think for me, because I work in small and medium businesses, uh, it was easier for me. Nitin, I think, had it much tougher. I remember when he first quit his job, uh, his last job was with, he was an associate director with Abbott Pharma. So I remember the first day of moonshine where he joined, uh, he called me, like, he did his normal morning routine, got dressed, wore his crisp white shirt, his trousers, put on his black shoes, and sat at his dining table in Bombay and then called me up and said, yeah, now what do I do? <laughs> so, uh, whereas I was in the habit of like never wearing jeans, only wearing shorts and like flip flops. And uh, so it was like when worlds collide. Uh, and even now, now I think Nitin's loosened up a bit. I think he's gone, he's become a little bit more relaxed with how he approaches day to day. Uh, and I've gone the other direction. So we've kind of found a mid ground and that's been pretty cool. But uh, especially getting into the F&B space has been fascinating because I think two reasons. A, we're both new to the world. We're both new to this universe. But at the same time, there is a joy in making a product which people consume and you can see people's reactions, you know, uh, whether good or bad, but in our case, I'm quite happy, like mostly positive, right? I imagine it's what a chef would feel when someone tries their food and appreciates it, right? So it's many small versions of that throughout our journey in the last four years. And it's quite, uh, it's quite nice. But of course, the challenges of understanding distribution, uh, just figuring that out, understanding how to market this product. Those have been uh, challenges to say the least, but still a lot of learnings, a lot of fun. Uh, and yeah, we're, we're still learning every day. We learn something new. So I think that that applies to almost every business because when people leave a, a you know, well-paying job and they get into business, they expect so much glamour around it. This because you, you know, you see the glamour side of business, you see the glamour side of CEOs and founders, but what you don't see is the blood, sweat, and tears, and the PTSD that goes behind yeah. all of the, the front that other people see. Yeah. Right. So now uh, I'm, I'm assuming your team has grown. It's no longer just the two of you. Now you guys are a, a bigger team. So when you all started like hiring, how was how was that experience? Uh, 
So one thing we, one little metric we had while hiring was that we want to hire people who we could sit and have a meet with or a beer with. You know, we can sit down and converse with outside of work. And I think that really helped because that also set the culture of the company in the early days. And uh, a lot of our initial hires actually weren't even like, okay, we need to hire someone. It was people who just wanted to intern with us, who people in college who were like, can we just come hang out? And we're like, yes, free labor, right? And uh, so that that association became, uh, people just stuck around. I think people identified with, our team identified with what we were building, the larger vision of it, uh, the overall socioeconomic impact that what we do can have. You know, that's the long-scale long 10-year vision that we have. And people have just stuck around. So the same people when they graduated from college, they were like, can we, I mean, it was, it was like a no-brainer. They, they knew that, like we, we were waiting for them to kind of join and we knew that they're going to join and that's how most of the initial hires were and uh, it's been pretty fantastic the culture's pretty awesome and what happened is these few these first people the first 10-15 people have, have almost become the I would like to say they become the propagators of culture right initially the culture stems from the founders but then the initial team it's important that they understand the culture and they imbibe it because they're the ones who are going to spread it down further with the, with the next few hires as well. And we've seen that happen. And we're super pleased about it. So what is something about people that surprises you? Like with your own team or just in people in general? Okay. This is a, I did not expect that question. <laughs> okay. What I'm is, what is it about people? That, that, okay. Uh, I'll tell you what, something that I realized a couple of years ago is that every single problem in running a business is finally an interpersonal problem. Okay. Uh, and that was pleasantly surprising because once you realize that most things are interpersonal problems, then you know how to solve them. Like it, then it's about, it's about human relationships. And uh, those are, while those are challenge, challenging, those are also quite straightforward and quite, you know, it's not rocket science. You just need to have open communication, be able to take and give feedback uh, quickly and uh, dispassionately, not bring ego into the relationships. And uh, if you manage to do all of those things in the work setting as well, I think it just creates for a great working environment. So. That is fantastic. And by the way, when you said open communication, that rings a very you know uh, close bell with me because that's one of our core values. Right? Nice. We okay. practice open communication and... Uh, but that one little core value has completely changed the way interpersonal issues get solved within the organization, the way innovation works. So one of our mm -hmm. core values is also, you know, we make thoughts into things, which is a, like, let's, you know, we innovate quickly. But okay. one of the ways that we innovate and that we recently innovate quickly is because we have open communication. So if there's a shit idea, we tell people, hey, that's a shit idea. And it could be the VP, it could be me, our intern can tell me, hey, that's a shit idea. And yeah. that's perfectly, perfectly normal, it's perfectly fine. Uh, an intern can come up with an idea and be executed at, you know, a national scale. Right? Yeah. So uh, there is no meritocracy, but that open communication actually fuels a lot of that. So I'm so glad to know that you guys practice that at, you know, uh, your organization. So when you started, right, and you started getting a team and you started developing some, uh, you know, what is it called? Momentum. Hmm. Did you ever find yourself... Uh, you know, worried, I, what did you find yourself with an existential crisis that, hey, if this doesn't work, everyone goes home. Like, did that ever cross your mind or was it just like a smooth path to success or did oh, you no. ever let that no, no, cross it, your mind? It, it's, uh, so the pandemic wasn't kind to us, right? Uh, we're a 
finally where alco bit very dependent on the channel and uh, once uh, we, we can't do e-commerce and so once uh, the pandemic hit we actually got drawered quite like badly and so uh, yeah those thoughts crossed our mind and uh, honestly it, it crossed our mind pretty much on a daily basis uh, but the team's been great in the sense that during the pandemic we had to in- institute some pay cuts we had to go into an austerity mode and uh, the team was understanding and supportive there were people who we hadn't planned for pay cuts but people volunteered and said like and that i think the kudos to the team that some people actually came up most people came up and said like hey i can take a higher pay cut which was pretty fantastic uh, because we're also very open with our financials we don't we don't say like uh, only the operations part of what the team needs to know we tell the team everything about our financials about pretty much everything in the running of the business how nitin and i are thinking about problems how we're trying to solve them and so that buy in is there from everybody and so because everyone's so bought in and uh, has been so bought in they understand the problems and they're willing to sacrifice time sweat energy and in this case even money okay to basically make sure the team sustains and survives and goes through uh we didn't lay off a single person during the pandemic uh, even though let's say production was shut for months on end uh, a lot of the production t- uh, team went home uh, but we continued we we waited for them we paid them throughout the pandemic and once they were back we hired them back again i mean they just hit the shop yes, yeah oh that is that is phenomenal i think that kind of culture is very unusual in india right and it's a little bit more in the us i've seen this kind of culture but in india it's almost unheard of right uh, so tell me a little bit about some of the myths that are associated with the alcohol industry that you get to drink every day i mean it's true okay it is true you can drink every day but then the real question is should you drink every day <laughs> so, yeah but uh, i think uh, it's not all fun and games sorry do you drink every day so I'm, i also look at production so it's uh, yeah <laughs> you have to taste every day yeah it's quality it's quality thing yeah but no in all seriousness uh, today we're bottling uh, we're bottling our guava chili tomorrow so today uh, we're adding the bhut jalokya chilies to the to the mead so multiple taste trials of hamad bhut jalokya chilies should go inside so large scale trials of that were going on So yeah, I've I've consumed before noon today. I must have consumed about hundred ml of alcohol, but it's all less than six percent. It's all spaced out, so it's not. We're not getting hammered at work. Uh, there are times when you have a nice buzz going by nine thirty, uh, but those are, those days are rare. Uh, but one one myth is that it's not all fun and games, right? Uh, even pulling off an event or pulling off like a product launch, there's a lot going going on behind the scene, and it's it's grueling at times. uh especially with a small team uh till about till just before the pandemic nitin and i were there at every single event picking up kegs cleaning up after the event is done uh setting up stalls there there events that nitin and i have done ourselves and i was telling someone this yesterday that i remember this one event in nasik in 2019 it was just nitin and i so nitin was serving customers and i had to carry like a 60 kg keg back from the cold uh, reefer van to the venue and so like i'm rolling slash dragging slash kicking a keg across let me be like 200 meters and i don't think i can do that anymore but in the moment you so you so charged up with adrenaline like you don't think of any of this and you're just doing all of it but it takes a toll on your body and it takes a toll on everybody like the diet now we have more people so it's i guess it'll be easier uh, but yeah early days was just super grueling 
right. So tell me about now. This is little on your on the personal side. Tell me about few of the habits that you have inculcated that make you a better leader, that make you a better founder, co-founder. Interesting. I read a lot. I think for me, uh, that is one of my what I believe has made me who I am. Okay, because I read vociferously and I read across uh, sectors. There's pretty much nothing that I do not read. And uh, interestingly, I've always been fascinated by human psychology. And I think I'm glad I was uh, because I think all of those learnings are something I can apply in those interpersonal relationships I was talking about earlier. And so that's helped a lot. But besides that, I also, I'm not, I don't have an MBA degree. Okay, so I do not have an MBA in marketing and like, in fact, I'm handling the marketing function for the company. It's interesting because I feel that not having that MBA degree has liberated me to think outside the box because I have no holy cows. I have no things must be done this way. Uh, and in, in fact, if someone says, hey, this is the way we used to do it. So that's the way we should do it. My first response is let's just explain it on first principles basis. And if it still makes sense, then we'll do it. Otherwise, I'm not going to do it just because somebody else has always done it. And I think that's allowed us to do a lot of things which other brands would not typically do. For example, uh, we're, we're available in Nature's Basket. And if you walk into the wine, uh, the wine section of a Nature's Basket, for most of the Nature's Basket, you'll see on the floor, there'll be a two foot by two foot sticker about moonshine. And there'll be some funny line or something. And uh, when we first proposed it, uh, I remember uh, someone we were someone who was uh, like a mentor slash like a friend of ours who's from the Icobab space, he's like, uh, are you saying that you were okay with people walking over your brand? Okay. And we were like, yeah, why not? Like, cause the floor is cheap as opposed to the walls. Okay. So, and it just surprises that no one does floor branding. So I think we're the only Icobab brand that's doing floor branding in Asia's basket. Everybody else wants to be on the walls. And we're like, okay. everyone's looking where they're going. So it makes sense for us to be on the floor. So that's fantastic. Oh, that's a lovely, lovely example of how education can, you know, put these blinders on you and just make you look like in a certain way. Yeah. And you just don't look outside it. So uh, a few years ago, I was sitting with a friend of mine. Uh, she's one of my mentors for uh, PR. And uh, she runs a fantastic, very successful tech brand. And we were just comparing notes on MBAs, right? And what out of the MBAs we're using. And I was actually telling her that, hey, I've not used anything out of my MBA, you know, in day-to-day work. Hmm. So she's like, no, no, no. Last week, I used SWOT analysis. So I was like, oh, for, for acquisition, for, you know, for what were you looking at for? Hmm. She's like, oh, uh, breaking up with my boyfriend. Confidence <laughs> going, I'm like, oh my God, that is insane. So, and people sometimes put so much weightage on, you know, formal education hmm. that they forget that the real education is when you do things with your own hands, like things you learn. Yeah. And the education is 10 times more than a formal education, right? So, so now let, let me come to learning. Now, you as an entrepreneur, uh, you said you read books. What are some of the other forms of learning? Like, where else do you learn new things? I used to, during the pandemic, and even before, I used to listen to podcasts a lot. I used to listen to audiobooks yeah. a lot. But uh, right now, man, it's just come down. I just, uh, I think there's, a, there's an overall information overload that's been happening over the last few years, especially. And so I've consciously over the last few months taken an effort to cut down on the information inputs that I have. And I'm currently, I have whittled it right down to books again. And I'm only reading books again. Maybe a couple of YouTube videos once in a while. But I'm going back to the basics. And then 
when I feel like I'm a little settled, I'm going to start adding on a layer of podcasts because I really enjoyed podcasts earlier. I, 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 I used to start my day with podcasts. My morning com- commute was podcasts. Evening commute was podcasts. Uh, but the pandemic kind of like threw a wrench into all of that, especially the second wave. After that, I was like, I don't need any additional information. So I'm just reading books right now. That is awesome. So I think books are one of the most underrated sources of learning. And especially if you read books on uh, people, their biographies. Yeah. Right. It's that person telling you about his life story, telling you the you know trials and tribulations and what method, what did they do and what mindset they were in. Hmm. It's like, I mean, you know, if you get that chance to sit across somebody and they're telling you all this experience, that's yeah. that's a three fifty five hundred rupee investment that you can get. Yeah. You can invest 10, you know, 10, 20 hours and get that information. Yeah. So I, I used to read, I've almost read all the biographies and all that. But I, I used to always, you know, uh, uh, pressurize myself that to finish a book. So uh, recently for my morning runs, I started listening to audiobooks mm. because I don't get as much time. So I maybe read half an hour, 45 minutes a day or day, I used to read more. Mm. But then at any time, I would just have one book. So and I was reading this book. Uh, I was listening to this uh, audiobook by uh, Naval Ravikant. Yeah. It's called the Almanac of Ravikant. So one of the key takeaways from that book, uh, on that audiobook was, he's like, hey, at any given time, I have 20 books open. Yeah. He's like, I'm under no pressure to finish a book. I will read a book. I will find one point. Yeah that the book is about all the remaining book is just stories trying to you know, justify that one point. And once I get that, I just leave the book. I write down the one point and I'm on to something else. Right. So that was such a fantastic learning for me. And now I actually have six audio books. I have five books open on my desk. I have six audio books. Yeah. I have a few more PDF files on my PC where I've been taking a little piece of something and then applying it in business. Yeah. Right. And I think that that has been a real game changer. For me over the last few that, that was one of the best books the almanac of novel ravikant is one of the best books i've read in recent years i loved it it is phenomenal the way that guy yeah. thinks is just at a, at a you know, very different level so tell me about uh somebody who inspires you huh. that's interesting <laughs> <laughs> uh can i give you examples of brands that inspire me yes of course uh I think two brands come to mind. The first one I'm going to have to say Brewdog. Okay, Brewdog is this Scottish uh, craft brewery, and they've actually opened a tap room in Bombay as well. Uh, they launched. Oh, yeah, they're in Kamla Mills, I believe. Uh, when they launched, <clears throat> two guys in home brewing in their garage. Uh, they had a dog. Uh, they named the company Brewdog. Right? It was as simple as that. But the way they did marketing, and it was so much guerrilla marketing. Uh, for us, because we're a uh, upstart brand, you know, we're a challenger brand competing with some of the big boys. We actually get shut down by the big boys in some accounts we go to, right? Uh, because they're like, no, you can't have them. So uh, suddenly we see our sales plummet, like from one month to the next, suddenly sales go to zero because the sales ma- the purchase manager is like, yeah, like, sorry. Uh, they've told us that if we kind of buy you that they won't sell to us and we have to buy them. So sorry, you guys are out. And uh, surviving in this in this ecosystem where the big boys are like ruthless uh, and you know, still getting the word out there, I think BrewDog has done such a fantastic job uh, of creating brand evangelists from their customers itself. Uh, they did something called Equity for Punks uh, where they actually got their own customers to invest in the company. And... Uh, so they raised a couple of million dollars and also created a couple of million like evangelists for themselves. And I think just the way they think so out of the box is just super fantastic. They, of course, now have 
migrated away from their punk roots. Of course, they're maturing as a business. But I think the early days, how they went about marketing is just like a great case study for anyone who's like a challenger brand. So to established industry. That is awesome. And which is the second one? You said two. Blue Dog. Yeah. I really admire what Bira has done. Okay. Uh, mm. Bira, from creating a brand, of course. Okay. I think Bira has done a fantastic job in brand creation. Uh, they took on like a behemoth like Kingfisher. Uh, and they did what they had to do to try and break the back of Kingfisher. I, I wouldn't say they've succeeded, but they've carved out a niche for themselves. They've, carved, they've made a dent for sure. And uh, of course, they've raised the boat loads and container loads of cash that they needed to to actually take the fight to Kingfisher. Uh, but they actually did it. And because Bira did what they did, I think they created a, a space, a vacuum, and an understanding in the channel's mind and the consumer's mind that uh, more flavorful beverages can exist. You don't have to be... Uh, oppressed by the tyranny of commercial lagers and uh, I think while they started the narrative I think we have picked up that mantle and we're just running with it now so uh, we're all about flavorful beverages uh, at some level so is Bira uh, you know they themselves have talked about more about making flavors that's very much in line with what we're trying to do as well so I think Bira is a great benchmark for us to kind of also pit ourselves against Awesome. So while we're talking about raising boatloads of money, you guys did raise a round or two? We raised a few rounds, all angel rounds. Okay. Uh, the first few, of course, were friends and family and some fools. Uh, then the rest okay. were angel rounds. Okay. The most common ones. Sorry, more common ones. Yeah. <laughs> the friends, family and fools yeah. round. Yeah. And then we've had a bunch of angel rounds. Uh, we haven't had an institutional round yet. And uh, okay. uh, we're looking for one at the moment as we speak. So... So while you are doing, see the friends, family, fools, I think is the easiest one. They're the closest people to you. So that is relatively easier. Yeah. But when you the whole angels round, how, how was that experience? Was there like, how many people did you have to meet till you got people to, you know, put money in? Like just, so, because I know a big challenge in India. Yeah, big right? challenge. Even though people say it's more money, it is a big yeah. challenge. I'll tell you, uh, I think the second round that we raised or the third round that we raised, which was super memorable for me because how we raised it was uh, just so... It's, I think it solved the problem. It showed the investor that we're solving a problem. And uh, so we were at a networking dinner where a bunch of investors were there. Some, through our contacts, we got to be one of the beverage partners. And Nidhan and I turned mm -hmm. up, not at the at the investors' lounge. There were a bunch of investors and they're all kind of talking amongst themselves. And Nidhan and I are just working the crowd. Have you tried this product? Like it's a new alcoholic beverage. We're not saying we want money. We're pitching the product. And... Uh, I remember this one gentleman who runs a, a quite a decent sized VC fund, tech base, of course. Uh, he came up to us and he like, man, this is fantastic because he like, I don't like drinking beer. He like, I can't stand beer. It's bitter. And he like, I like cocktails. But he's like, in India, in a man's world, when everybody else is having a beer, he like, it's a little awkward having a colorful cocktail in your hand, no matter how tasty they are. And uh, he like, I know there are many people like me out there. So he like, you've given me a product which is flavorful, which is tasty, not bitter, doesn't make me feel bloated because it's gluten-free. And it's in the shape, like, which is acceptable socially. And he like, I see the problem you're, you're solving. And 
before we left that night we pretty much had him saying yes and we weren't even pitching to him to raise money like he found us out and said i want to invest money are you guys looking to raise money we like yes he like can i invest we like yeah hell yeah and so he invested in a personal capacity and that's been and i think that's a great example for how we've raised money in the past because most of the times people have tried the product and be like huh you're on to something and i think the product does most of the sales for us most of the communication for us and that's been great I think your product is doing all the heavy lifting in terms of raising uh, <laughs> raising any kind of money. Yeah, yeah. So we cannot uh, not talk about Shark Tank. So tell me a little bit about your experience on Shark Tank. Okay, so you rational for Shark Tank, right? Both Nitin and I are quite uh, introverted people. We're not very. While Nitin does enjoy uh, the stage, he enjoys presentations. That's his forte. I am super camera shy. I am. I have stage fright. I let this that's what it is. I have major stage fright. So the thought of going into Shark Tank gave me like I think it gave me like a loose tummy right up front. Just the thought of it. Uh Nitin on the other hand was like, yeah, like it's so embarrassing. We're not going to go. That's crazy. And then we were both like, you know what? Let's just apply, right? They're going to say no because we're alcohol in any case. So we applied. Then we got a call for the audition. and we like you know what let's just go for the audition It'll be a fun experience they're going to say no anyways cuz it's alcohol so we went we opened up some meads they tasted the meads during the audition they loved it we like yeah the the channel's going to say no the channel said yes they called us back we went for the and again all this while we like should we go should we not go and finally we like man if you think about it this is maybe one of the few opportunities we will have in our lives or in the brand will have in its journey to come on tv for maybe like 10 to 15 minutes uninterrupted and be able to communicate the entire brand story we're not pitching a campaign we're pitching the entire thesis of why this brand exists and uh we like just for that alone it just makes sense to go and uh i think the sharks were very astute when they figured out that we didn't necessarily want their money but we were there for the marketing uh which is why those shit eating faces that we had the grins that we had <laughs> right after uh and i think the experience was fantastic uh they asked us to speak in hindi nitin's from mysore he's like yeah like will not cannot uh so it came to me to speak give that first 3 minute pitch in hindi which was gruesome uh i still managed to pull it off i had nightmares about it before uh, the event I, i had proper nightmares about it but uh the pitch went well the rest of the pitch was pretty much it was like a normal investor pitch right so after the first 3 minutes were done where i had to memorize those lines and get it over with uh or memorize the flow and get it over with then the rest of the q and a was pretty standard that's something that nitin and i have done like hundreds of times and it wasn't a challenge at all because we i mean every variation of that that of those questions they've answered but it was very interesting to see also from the perspective of a consumer how it is behind the curtain in showbiz to see what goes on behind and that was pretty awesome and a uh, great experience 10 on 10 would definitely do it again but yeah but a lot better so after shark tank air did you see any kind of a up sales moving up in the right direction or it didn't actually make any so difference? we've seen a lot of increase in awareness for the category and uh, category of meat mm. and uh, this is something that I'm a huge believer in is that the category comes first not not necessarily the brand because Think of it the Xerox way, right? You still call it. I'm going to a Xerox. I'm going to get a Xerox for this. Very rarely do we say photocopy, and 
uh, it's the same idea with meads. Uh, moonshine and meads have to be synonymous. And only if we grow the category of meads will moonshine grow as well. So for me, what I, I was really like kicked about was that people actually now recognize meads. People have act, like, we've actually managed to put meads on the map. It's still a small corner on the map, right? But it's so much bigger than what it was. And uh, we've seen some uptick in sales for sure. Uh, but I'm hoping, I'm expecting that uptick to really come about in summer because uh, I think the episode aired in the, like in January, which is uh, historically the worst month for Alcobev in the country. And so we weren't really expecting much had to happen. Our followership on social media, of course, shot through the roof. The number of emails we get for jobs and distribution, that shot through the roof. And uh, hopefully now sales will shoot through the roof as well in the next few months as the country heats up and people start looking at cold beverages to consume. That is that's awesome. So today, what is stopping you from going pan-India? Like Since you have you know, a lot of distributors will be approaching yeah. you. And normal distribution, that is, you know, a large concern, finding the right distributors yeah. and things. So I'm very sure Shark Tank, you know, uh, got you a little bit more popular than you guys already were. So right now, what is stopping you from being present in 20 states? So, is it production? Is it quality or shelf life? None of those. It's just uh, okay. it's regulation. Because we're an excisable, okay. we're a product which comes under the ambit of the excise uh, department. Okay. Every state has its own excise rules and regulations. And so we can't have the same pricing from state to state because the taxation structures, uh, the duty structures, uh, all of those change from state to state. And uh, that impacts what MRPs we can go at, that impacts what our margins will be. And there's so many other variables over there. And we've we launched in about, we were in two markets, Maharashtra and Goa. We lo we've launched in about four new markets and launching in two more in the next in this month itself. So we'll be in eight, eight markets. And... For Alcobev, that's enough. That's enough for us to have our hands full and maybe pull our hair out as well. Because, uh, except for Nathan, he's, he's bald. Uh, so, what we want to do right now is consolidate in the markets we already are in and uh, have a little bit more depth, uh, not a little, a lot more depth in the markets we are in before we start spreading again. Uh, but currently, we have our hands full. And again, all the question of, it's a small team. We have limited bandwidth. Uh, the main thing is to keep the main thing the main thing. So we just want to focus on the markets we are already in and just like hammer it home there. That is fantastic. So tell me about the name Moonshine Media. Okay. That is fantastic. So you remember when I first said that we started making the product at home? Uh, everyone thought they're going to go blind because... Uh, I mean, I tried explaining that methanol production can only happen, I mean, if you distill it, right? Uh, there isn't enough methanol to make people go blind. But people kept asking, is this moonshine? Is this moonshine? And uh, we're like, no, 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 it's not distilled. It's just fermented. Try it out. You won't go blind. Look, we'll take a sip, you know, first and all of that. <laughs> and uh, finally, the name stuck. We're like, when we had to come up with the name of the brand, we're like, actually, moonshine is a pretty cool name. And I think for us, it also is a throwback to our origin stories. And like with all comic book fans, who doesn't like a good origin story? So, so that is fantastic. So I, I I can imagine a year or two later, people going in and asking for moonshine when they actually mean meads. They're asking for moonshine because that's literally the only name they know, like the Xerox, right? You'll be, I, I can literally see that happening now 
and I love the fact that you're focusing on the category growing rather than just your yeah. brand growing, right? So that is uh, that that kind of thinking will put you on the map and will make you, you know, leaders because many people are just looking at themselves and they're trying to just grow their own yeah. piece. But very, very few people are trying to develop a category, uh, right? Which is very, very difficult, mm-hmm. right? So right now, a lot of the heavy lifting is on your shoulders because it's not just for you to create a necessity for your product, but just for your category in general. Like many people may not know mm-hmm. what is a mean, yeah. you know, the, the barrier of trying out a new product, they may not be comfortable doing it. So there's a lot of heavy lifting, which you will yeah. do, which will probably wave, wave you know, the others. And when the others kind of follow it, it's a little easier for them, but... Hopefully, you've gone far ahead and on quite big where even if you have a few competitors, you know, you'll actually say more than Exactly. Energy. Because yeah, so. a rising tide floats all both, right? So, if we, if the category does well, everyone will do well. And that's fine. Because uh, we're also, another thing I'd like to point out, Ashwin, is that our, the entire thesis of the brand exists that there is a white space which exists for a consumer who transitions from his first drinking journey, right? He goes from drinking carbonated sweet colas to carbonated bitter beer, right? How did he go from sweet to bitter? Where is, you know, what happened in that middle space, right? And we believe there's a huge space available, huge white space available for flavorful beverages. And that is the world in which we operate because that's the thesis for everything we do. Like it's, whatever we make, it has to be flavorful. It has to be delicious. We don't believe in acquired tastes, uh, it should be tasty right out of the bottle, right? Uh, and uh, again, that same uh, same thesis also applies to the kind of names we have for our products. We don't call, no fancy names for our SKUs. A salted coca mead is called a salted coca mead. A grilled pineapple mead could have been called like, like Jamaican something. But, man, we don't want to confuse the customer any further. It's, it's got grilled pineapples in there. It's, we're going to call it the grilled pineapple mead. What you see is what you get. So, I, I love the clean label approach. Uh, so, what are the different flavors that you have? So, we have uh, three flagships which are available throughout the year. There's the apple cider mead, is the coffee mead, and the traditional mead. Uh, then we have uh, what we call the mead lab series, which are again, and this also started because we are we started off as home brewers. And if you told me that Rowan, you have to make three meads for the rest of your life, I'd be like, I might as well shut the company down and go home because I'd rather shoot myself. So uh, the Meal Lab series is just us expressing ourselves and, you know, taking the roots of home brewing and basically making it, you know, more systemic. So we do these small batches with seasonal produce. So, for example, a guava chili mead, once guava season's over, it's done. We're not going to make it again. But one thing is that we don't use any artificial flavors. We use real guavas. We use bhut chilaka chilies. We've done a mango chili mead. My current favorite is something called the grilled pineapple mead. Uh, pineapples grilled over coal, then put inside a mead. And uh, grilled and smoked over coal. So we smoke it also slightly. Uh, so it's like pineapple smokiness, uh, super fantastic. Uh, we've done a salted kokum mead. So that's actually like drinking like a nice kokum sharbat, but with salt, perfect for a hot summer day. Uh, we're just we're launching the hopped mead in another two days. Uh, in fact, I was in the mead day and the stocks were being loaded up into the truck. So it'll hit the distributor tomorrow and the market day after. So we launched the hopped mead, which is going to be a slightly bitter mead. And that's what I love about meads. It's so versatile. We've done we've done sweet meads, we've done spicy meads, we've done salty meads, we've done sour meads. And now after the hopped mead, we would have done a bitter mead. I think the only challenge left would be a umami mead. And uh, yeah, uh, let's see how that goes.
So is that something you all are going towards, like creating in the market? Uh, so we have tried. We have done experiments with uh, wasabi and soy. Okay, uh, oh. didn't turn out very well, uh, but still <laughs> worth uh, more trials for sure. That has been on the so. I saw your logos and I saw some of the uh, you know graphics on your bottles. Tell me the story behind that. So when we started in 2018, uh, we were so clueless as to who the consumer was because we launched mm. at a price point which was we were about 60 rupees more expensive than the most expensive Indian bottled beverage and about 100, mm. maybe 50 rupees cheaper than the cheapest imported beverage. And so we were in this like no man's land that no one had existed before and we were creating a new category. So we didn't know who the TG was and we thought the TG is going to be 35 plus. So we went for a super minimalist, almost Scandinavian approach to our branding. It was very minimalist and in, we really loved it. But we also realized that there were problems with it because the TG turned out to be 21 to 30. Okay. And uh, once within five months, we're like, okay, we got the TG completely wrong. We went back to uh, our current designer and we were like, can you uh, change? Can you give us like an architecture? Because the previous branding was also very text heavy and we wanted something visual. And because we're so craft inside the bottle, we wanted to have craft outside the bottle as well. So we wanted to work with different artists and have labels done by different artists. But, and I think this was different and unique because we told the designer that we don't want to have artwork and slap a logo on the artwork, right? We want somehow our identity to be integral to the artwork itself. And so the architecture he came up with is the front of the label is just like a circle and moonshine beneath it. And we tell artists, please go ahead and overlap the circle by about 20 to 25%. And so, because that's the way our identity becomes integral with the artwork itself. And so that's led to some very unique and very interesting art and uh, again, it's a pleasure to work with artists and to, you know, create something because we tell them what the products like, or sometimes we even give them the sample versions of the product and say, this is what you're making the product uh, a label for. And we've had some artists like uh, uh, Anirudh, who's a big fat minimalist, who's done the, the mandalas and sacred games. He did the label for the coffee mead. Anand, uh, he's a comic book artist. He did the label for the apple mead. Uh, so again, uh, and each label is so unique, but when you line them all up, when you when you take a step back and look at all of them together, you see uh, the artwork being, as somebody else put it very nicely, freshly consistent, right? And uh, I think that's what I really enjoy about it. And because each bottle is a work of art, like, and it's crafted inside the bottle as well as outside. That is fantastic. Okay, so last question uh, for the session. What advice would you give somebody entering this space? Firstly, don't do it. <laughs> <laughs> okay, in all seriousness, uh, do it, but be, uh, man, fill up your stores with tenacity, right? Take that tenacity meter or go to that tenacity pump and fill up your tank with as much tenacity as you can because it's a tough journey. And uh, I think the tenacious will be victorious. Uh, and I think that's the main piece of advice I have for any entrepreneur, actually, not just this space. Uh, running a business isn't easy. Uh, it's firefight after firefight, day in, day out. Right? You can build up systems, you can build up processes so the firefights reduce, uh, that the team can, you know, you build up a team that can manage the firefights for you. Uh, 
But at the end of the day, the final accountability is yours. The final responsibility is yours. And uh, it takes a toll on you. And if you don't have the tenacity to sustain and, uh, you know, persevere through the dips, uh, it's going to be very tough. So I think tenacity is the main, I think, requirement of an entrepreneur, whether this case or any other. That's, I think, a perfect point, uh, you know, for us to end this episode. Uh, Rohan, thank you so much for sharing so openly and, you know, giving us a peek behind uh, the meadery, behind your brand and about yourself. And I wish you guys the very best. And I'm hoping to see meads, more common uh, meads in every store, meads at every party, meads in every fridge. And I don't think you should stop till that happens. Thank you so much, Ashwin. Yeah. I really do appreciate it. So wish you more time. We do the very best. Thank you, Ashwin. I really, really do appreciate you taking the time out as well. Thanks. Thanks a lot. So, guys, that was Rohan Rihani, who was a co-founder of Moonshine Meadery. If you haven't tried a meat yet, go online, go to Moonshine Meat, you know, go find Moonshine Meadery online, find the closest retailer and order one today because I think it's going to be something uh, new that you're going to try and I think it's going to blow your mind and you never know it may become your next favorite beverage. Anyways, till next time, please have a fantastic day. Thanks, everyone.